This morning we are going to be turning our Bibles to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. And it's funny, since the last time I taught, I had it on my mind, okay, I'm going to actually start an entire book of the Bible. And I even started prepping, prepping a little bit to do that. I was going to start uh, looking at Timothy, because there were some things in Timothy that were speaking to me. And then God changed that. <laughs> and uh, brought me here to Galatians. Galatians 2... And we're going to look at one verse this morning. One single verse this morning. And it's a verse we've all probably, if you've been in a Bible study, if you've done the 2-7, you probably have had to memorize this particular verse. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the, f in the, in the flesh or in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Powerful. I've, you know what? I've learned that, that verse. I've been through that verse. I've heard that verse. And then God took that verse in the last couple of weeks and smacked it over my head. The reason for this this morning um, is because uh, God reminded me of something. Um, and it involves a story, so I'm going to tell you the story that happened to me in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I'll ask you a question before I start. Have you ever done a good deed or an act of kindness and then afterwards you get a rebuke from God? Never, I don't think it's ever happened to me before. And it wasn't because I did an act of, of kindness. It wasn't because I did a, a good thing that I got corrected or rebuked. It was because of how I handled the situation afterward or maybe during. Anyway, the story goes back to uh, when I was doing some shopping in a grocery store and I got what I needed to get and I was in the lineup to pay for my groceries and this kind elderly woman was right behind me in line and I tend to be fairly chatty and uh, and I was looking at her groceries and I started up a conversation with her in the lineup and we talked about the price of groceries and uh, we talked about where she was from she had bust in from Roberts Creek we talked about how expensive groceries were getting. And, and she'd bought this, this thing of butter from, I think it was from Scotland. It was imported. Here we are talking about how expensive groceries are. I'm thinking, gosh, you're buying imported butter. That must be expensive. I didn't say that, but in her mind, she said, you know what, I, I've tried this butter before, and I really love this butter, and I, I want to I try it again. Awesome. So we chatted, and it's my turn to pay for my groceries. And, and I'm just taking out my wallet, and I hear this voice in my head, very clear, pay for her groceries. Now, for some, that might seem kind of weird. Really? I've talked to people that have said, oh, you'd actually, God talks to you? 
And I think at my age and, and, and all I've been through in life, and I know when God's speaking to me and when it's just kind of in my head, and this was clear. And I almost just said, just kind of pushed it aside as, okay, what was that? And then again, he said, buy her groceries. So I did. And you know what? It, it, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't like I was breaking my bank. It might have been $20, maybe $25 to buy this woman's groceries for her. And uh, she was just so excited about it and so pleased about, you know, $20 to her might have been a big deal. So I pay for it, and I left. I didn't stick around. I didn't want to stick around, but I could hear behind me, you know, her elation of having this happen. And I felt pretty good about myself, I got to say. And I left the store, and I went home, and I remember Susan came home, and uh, I told her about it. And I got that dutiful pat on the back from my wife. You know, job well done. You know, you did a good deed for this woman. But it was shortly after that, a couple days later, I get this little kick in the pants from the Lord, I guess. A correcting, a dressing down, a put in my place. I, I don't know what name to even put on it. Now, there are different reasons, and I'm just going to veer off here from this story. There's different reasons, there's different motives that we have for doing the good works that we do, those compassionate moments we have toward others. And certainly the Bible is full of those good deeds and compassionate uh, moments. And, and kindness, it's the fruit of the Spirit. We do acts of kindness because, A, we're told in the Bible to be kind. Jesus is the example of kindness and compassion. We're told if we don't have, if we don't show these acts of love, the love of God really isn't in us. But there's, I think, those times where we do these acts of kindness, and I think we've all been guilty of it, of really kind of having our own interests at heart, of doing them because, well, it makes me look a little bit better. I have, a, I have something to say to people. They'll say, gosh, what a great guy Ken is. We want to be recognized as a kind-hearted person by others. So we do our due diligence, uh, but maybe not for the most righteous of motives. And then there's these times we do these kindness acts. We show mercy. We show compassion because it's a direct command from God. And I don't know if you've ever had that. And I believe that that was the case here. I believe he asked, or rather kindly commanded me, to buy this woman's groceries. And I'm thankful I did. But the correction wasn't about my being obedient. The correction was about who got the glory. God let me know in, un in no uncertain terms a, a few days later who that act of kindness was really from. And he spoke to my heart and he said, that was from me. It wasn't from you. You know what? I rushed out of that store feeling pretty darn good about myself. And this is emotional for me. 
when I should have taken a moment and perhaps waited for this woman outside the mall, outside the store, and just to tell her, and it might have been absolutely crazy to her, she might have thought, who is this guy that thinks God's talking to him? But just waited a moment, and I should have told her that God had stepped in and asked me to do that for, for him. So don't thank me, thank him. I should have told her that he just wanted her to know that he's paying attention to her and that he loves her. And I have to say, it feels pretty crappy taking that from somebody. I believe pretty strongly that taking credit for somebody else's work is wrong, and I try not to do it. But it feels really, really crappy when you're taking it from God. And that's when he put this, this verse in my heart. And I'm going to read it again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But he was saying, Ken, you have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who lives. But Christ lives in you. And the life you live in this flesh... You live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave himself for you. Sometimes we need that reminder. Sometimes I need that reminder that it's no longer God who lives. Or no longer I who live, I'm sorry. That it's not always about me. That it's about Jesus. It's about who we are now that we have been crucified with Christ. And when I look at this statement or this confession by Paul here, it's clear that it's very, very personal. It's a personal confession that he's making here. But it's important that you and I see that it's not just his. That doesn't belong to Paul. That belongs to all of us. That's our confession. That's my confession. And when we read that, we need to put it into our hearts. This verse has to be the heartfelt confession of every Christian. And we need to go back to it sometimes daily, I believe daily, as a reminder of who we are in Christ. And I'm pretty sure that's what God's message was for me after this, this story and if it was a wake-up call for me, maybe it, it'll be a blessing for you this morning. Maybe it'll be a reminder time and again for you, who you are as a Christian, who I am, who I'm, who, for me, who I am as a Christian. So all that being said, we're going to spend a little time just talking about what this verse means. Because this is our story. Now one other quick side note, as I said, this whole experience really touched my heart. But when we study God's word, when I sit up here to, or Matt sits up here, or Blake sits up here to preach God's word, we kind of have to step away a little bit from the heart and teach about basic information. 
It's about the head knowledge. The Bible gives us a lot of head knowledge. And because this touched my heart, it, it was hard for me because it's, to sit and teach it now is a little clinical because I've got to step away from the heart and teach about the facts. Like any message over time, hopefully God takes that head knowledge and turns it into heart knowledge. That we take those facts and turn them into faith. So this morning we have to start with the facts. And that means asking the question, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? I don't know if you've ever thought of it. I'm sure you have. But first of all, is it literal? No. People have been crucified. Paul was crucified. But what he's talking about here, for you and me, isn't literal. No believer was or is literally crucified with Christ. The phrase crucified with Christ, it's a symbol of a spiritual truth. And the term carries really a number of meanings for us. First of all, being crucified with Christ means that we are no longer under the penalty of law. That penalty was paid by Christ on our behalf, on your behalf and my behalf when he was, when he was crucified. It is as if we were crucified along with him. The penalty was paid in full just as surely as if we had been nailed to that cross ourselves. So when Christ rose from the dead, we rose. And now that risen Christ empowers us to live for him in a way that pleases him. We used to seek, seek life through our own works. Sometimes we still do. But now we are to live by faith in the Son of God. Number two, being crucified with Christ means that we are new creations. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our old life is dead. It's gone. We can now walk in the newness of life. The question is, do we? Thirdly, being crucified with Christ means that we have a new love. The lust of the flesh and the love of the things of this world have been crucified. Galatians 5:24 says, "And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires." And number 4, being crucified with Christ means that we have a new commitment. We are dedicated to the service and glory of the Lord. And that dedication destroys selfishness and surpasses ties to family and friends. We have taken up our cross to follow him. Number five, being crucified with Christ means that we have a new way of life. At one time, we followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of this kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now 
at work in those who are disobedient. But that way a life was nailed to the cross. Now we follow Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we seek to please him in every way. And number six, finally, the idea of being crucified with Christ emphasizes our union with him and his death on your behalf and on my behalf. We trust or have faith in Christ's crucifixion as payment for our sin penalty, and we rely on his power to live in a way that pleases God. The emphasis is on what he has done for us, not what we have, we have done or, or what we have to do for him. Too often, that term, I have been crucified with Christ and it's Christ who lives in me, becomes, I need to crucify my sinful desires and try harder to live for God. And when this becomes our perspective, we have slipped out of grace living and back into law living. And we minimize the power of Christ's death for you and me. And then we are relying less upon the power of Christ and more upon the power our, uh, upon our own power. And that never works out very well. In short, Galatians 2.20 tells us how we escaped the penalty of sin to live a life that pleases God. Knowing that we are crucified with Christ should give us huge encouragement every day in our Christian walk. You and I have the power to say no to sin and yes to God. Let me say that again. We have the power to say no to sin and yes to God. And this brings me to an interesting point, I think, that before Jesus, we had one nature and no choice but to sin. But with Jesus, we have really these two natures now that dwell in each of us. And though they're constantly at war, with Christ, we have a new power and ability to choose not to sin. And it always comes down to choice. The choice not to sin. The choice to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. The choice to live in the light and not the darkness. The choice to die to our old selfish nature and allow the nature of Christ to reign in us. You know, when Paul says he dies daily in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, it's a statement of choice. God doesn't just come down and control us. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, that he disciplines his body and keeps it under control, it's a statement of choice. And when Joshua says, choose today whom you will serve. He means it's a choice. You know what? All of these things require our, our 
discipline and control, turning away from old habits, and not, it's not easy. The old nature doesn't go quietly, and it doesn't go peacefully. But between the two, as one grows stronger, the other will grow weaker. We just have to choose. So now, hopefully, we have an idea of what it is to be crucified with Christ. What it means on paper and what it looks like in our lives and in our hearts. And having declared being crucified with Christ, Paul then makes a statement that is really the whole summation of that crucifixion. And this is the part that he really was, God was really showing me. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer I who live. That's the attitude he needed to correct in me. And he's probably going to have to do it again. It's not always about me. It's about Christ in me. And that union should have a profound change in who I am. It should have a profound change in what motivates me. It should have a profound change in how I conduct myself. You know, I said being crucified with Christ emphasizes our union with him. That's really easy for me to say. But how is that unity manifesting itself in my life? What does it look like? Well, on the outside, I know what it should look like. It should show up in my attitude. It should show up in my emotions. So let me ask you, have you noticed as you grow closer to Jesus that what grieves him is suddenly grieving you? Have you noticed that your joy is Jesus' joy? That they become one and the same? Have you noticed that you're angered by the same things that anger him? Have you noticed that you begin to show grace where grace shouldn't really even be found? Have you noticed that you suddenly find compassion when others are asking for persecution? We find our heart is softened when people around us are, are hardening and becoming unyielding. Do you find you have this sudden desire for the things of God and less of desire for the things of the world? These are things to to ask yourselves, ask myself. Do you have a greater desire in your life for the presence of God? These are all signs that you and I have been truly crucified with Christ. And it's no longer you or me who live, but that Christ is living in us because none of these things comes naturally to you and I without him. And this unity with Christ, 
gives us something else. Something more. Who says God isn't gracious? Unity with Jesus gives you and I eternity. His death counts for my death. His death counts for your death. Just think. We were all once living on, as people, uh, really as the equivalent of being on death row. That we one, would one day have to stand before the judge of all things and be held accountable for every deed and every thought that fell short of the glory of God. And they all do. But now, crucified with Christ, his death on the cross counts for our death. And we're pardoned and we're set free. Romans 8, 1 that says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And that brings us to the next thing we have been given by our unity or crucifixion with Christ is that his resurrection counts for our resurrection. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know, when you think about it, there's some really paradoxical, kind of crazy stuff we read in the Bible. That if, if we were a, a non-believer or somebody who was a new believer, you'd be like, what in the world is he talking about? told his disciples, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. What? And here he's talking about if you die, you won't die. And it can be, sound a little crazy. But Jesus is, as you probably know, is talking about spiritual death. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die physically, yet shall he live spiritually. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die spiritually. He is the resurrection and the life. In Luke 21, Jesus tells his disciples that some of them will die. Yet he says that if they stand firm with him, not a hair of their head will perish. We're given this physical body, but it isn't of paramount importance to God as our spirit is. In Christ, the spirit will live on because the price is paid in full on the cross. So what do we have so far? We know that when we accept Christ as our personal Savior, we are in spirit crucified with him and we receive life and life, a life bought and paid for by Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The world hates that because it's so 
uh, exclusive, but it's really so inclusive because anybody can have it. And what else do we know? That Christ comes and he lives in you and he lives in me and we have this spiritual unity with him. And we, in essence, die to self. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So you have life. But you know what? We don't own this life. This new life isn't yours and it isn't mine. It's Jesus' life. And we need to give it over to him. We may need to make that choice, make that part of who we are as a Christian. Jesus, this is your life. Take it and use it. We pray that every morning. Take me and use me. Even for the little things. The old self is gone. The new has come. And we're called to manage this new life or the managers in accordance with God's leading. And as my personal lesson seems to point out, Give the glory to whom it is due when it is due. And Paul finishes off here. He says, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Until we pass from this life into our eternal life, we're stuck with the flesh. <laughs> There's times... It's so frustrating being stuck with the flesh because we fall into it. We seem to let it take control sometimes. The flesh isn't just about the body. It's our whole nature. It's the whole nature of man or woman. And it includes our, all our reasoning. It includes all our, our instincts how easy it is to fall back on our own reasoning and our own instincts. Gosh, if I've learned nothing else in my Christian walk, is my own reasoning and my own instincts usually get me into trouble. The only way to deal with the flesh is by faith. Luther wrote, that faith connects you so intimately with Christ that he and you become, as it were, one person. As such, you may boldly say, I am now one with Christ. Therefore, Christ's righteousness, victory, and life are mine. On the other hand, Christ may say, I am that big sinner. His sins and death are mine because he is joined to me and I to him. What a wonderful thing. So faith, your faith and my faith is our connection to Christ. It's not just a word that we toss out in dicey situations. Not just a word that we toss out when we want something to work out in our favor. It is the foundation of for what we believe. The only thing that separates people who belong to God, like you and I, and people who do not, is faith. Anybody can say, I have faith. A non-believer can say, 
oh, I just have to have faith this is going to work out. But our faith has to be focused on the right thing. And it's not the level of evil or the level of goodness each person has. Our relationship with God is through Jesus and it's by faith. So how do we define faith? How do you define faith? Well, we can look at Hebrews. Hebrews defines faith. Hebrews 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So every morning we wake up with hope. But our faith is the assurance of that hope. Our faith is the conviction of that hope. Assurance, conviction. We're sure. We're convicted. We know. And as we grow to know God through the Word and by the Holy Spirit, our faith grows. It gets more relevant. It gets more full. And as we exercise our faith, it grows. And God will exercise your faith and my faith. It's the only way we can grow in our trust in God and have a greater understanding of His ways. Romans 5, verses 1 to 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you and I. By faith, we are justified. We are declared righteous before God and we're brought into this relationship with Him. And it is faith that helps us to endure all the stuff that goes on in our lives. The suffering, the difficulties. Trusting that God can and will use those things ultimately for our good and for his glory. And the Bible tells us without faith, we have no relationship with God and we cannot please him. You know, it's our faith that takes us out of this physical. We can be so focused. I know I can be so focused on what is going on in the world and what's going on in my life and around me and my wife and family can be so focused on the physical. But faith takes us, takes us out of that physical and focuses on the spiritual. It focuses on our hearts, our hearts on the eternal. Faith sees beyond the natural and takes us into the supernatural. And it's awesome. And it's comforting. Paul is no different than you and I or any believer when it comes to faith. We all have to live by faith. 
in the end? Faith in Jesus Christ is all there is. Take away everything else. It's all there is. We take that statement into the world and see how far you get. So when we say we have faith, when I say I have faith, I got to be careful and make sure I'm looking at Jesus when I say it, that I'm just not throwing it out there as a word. The word on its own has no power. The word faith has to rest on Jesus and Jesus alone. When Paul says, I live by faith, he's so careful here to follow it with in the Son of God. So don't just follow your faith. Own your faith. Live your faith. Be your faith. Make Jesus your faith every day. And Paul finishes off here with a final intimate personal statement about Jesus um, that, again, is for all mankind. It's for everybody, not just us believers. But he says, he loved me and gave himself for me. You know what? There is no religion or belief in existence other than Christianity, at least that I know of. There is, let me know that makes more, a more intimate statement than those last seven words that Paul says here. The God of all creation, the master, the sustainer of all things, the almighty king, loves each of us in a very personal way. Not just you and me, but every person. God so loved the world. You know, I think I was supposed to pass God's love along to that woman at the grocery store. I didn't. I'll have to carry that for a long time. Between Satan and the world and our doubts that creep in from time to time, we find that God's love is often scrutinized, it's often questioned, there is this determination among some people to show that God isn't caring and he's, and he's cruel at times. And they'll take examples out of the Old Testament or they'll point out suffering and sickness in the world. And they say, this is not a loving God. But you know what? I think these are the same people who have no real understanding of Scripture, nor a true relationship with Jesus. Because if you talk to any born-again Christian who has that personal relationship with Jesus, and if you're here today and you're a born-again Christian and you have that relationship with Jesus, like Paul does here, you may not know all the ways and the thoughts of God. I certainly don't. But I would put my life on the line 
that you would stand up and testify under oath that God is truly all that he says he is because he's put that in your heart and he's put it in my heart that he's a God of love and that he is a God of compassion. And how do I know? Because he gave himself for me. He gave himself for you. He gave himself for all mankind just to bring us back to himself. The cross was and is the evidence for the greatest act of love ever. There will never be anything greater. Now I think I'm going to close out today. I know I didn't go too long, but taking one verse can kind of be a lot. But I want to say that this whole experience for me personally has been such a reminder that it is no longer I who live. And apparently I forgot. And God reminded me. And I wanted to share that with you. And it's also been a reminder that it's more important for people to know God loves them than for me to take credit for a kind act. That it's more important that people know that He is thinking about them and that they matter to Him. And I'll call the worship team back up here if you guys don't mind. And I'll share with you. Sorry. I'll share with you guys uh, a verse that really, it's been always one of my favorites. And I think it's out of Isaiah. And he says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not, not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Now I ask you, does that sound like a distant, uncaring God? I don't think so. <laughs> 